Welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host. And today, I'm excited to bring you an episode that is going to be a special solo episode, which is not something I typically do. Um, but I'm going to be discussing the takeaways from the Novelist Inc. conference. For those of you who were listening to the podcast, you may have noticed that there wasn't an episode last week, and that was because I was at this conference. It began uh, last Wednesday here in St. Pete Beach, and it is a fantastic uh, conference. I've been to quite a few conferences. I went to Novelist Inc. last year as well, but this year just blew me away with the amount of content and material that was provided. And I felt like it was an important time to basically uh, take a minute to, to process through this, uh, the amount of information that I've been given, and to share some of that, especially with those um, authors in the audience who may, may not have been able to attend the conference or perhaps were attending the conference but had were on different tracks or just wanted to kind of um, relive some of this experience and some of this knowledge because there's quite, there was so much information. It was like pouring a a five-gallon bucket into a teacup when it comes to the amount of knowledge that was being dumped on us as authors. So for those of you who are typically viewers who watch for books to read, and that's your main gig, and you're, if you're not a writer, if you're, you're usually viewing uh, just to, to score some good books, there will be some great nonfiction tips at the end of this where I have uh, I go through a little bit of a book list of things that were recommended at the conference, especially for writers. And if you're just a reader, uh, and you just love to, to come on the show and, and check out new books to read. Um, I'm going to do some uh, shameless self-promotion. It's been 40 episodes, and I haven't actually mentioned what I write necessarily. Um, so I'm just going to throw up a, the cover of Clockwise and Gone. It is free right now. It is a free novella. If you feel like uh, checking out some time travel adventure, uh, it is currently free on Kobo So and also Barnes & Noble. But head on over to, to the folks at Kobo. Give them some love. And um, it'll eventually be free on Amazon, too, once they price match it. But if you're curious at all about what, what I write and um, you're interested in checking that out, it's a short read, maybe an hour or two, and uh, you can get that for free over at Kobo. That's clockwise and gone. So feel free to check that out. Let me know what you think of it. So for the rest of the, the writers and uh, authors in the audience, or maybe aspiring authors who are curious about this uh, Novelist Inc. conference, I'm going to do some, a little bit of a breakdown of how the conference went, what, what happened. Um, it started on Wednesday the 26th, and that day I also had Bookfaces Live's first ever um, event. So there's there's quite a few sponsors there that come to the show, obviously, or come to the conference. Big sponsors, Amazon, Kobo, Draft Digital. I'm going to mention all of them here and again in a minute. But um, as a new starting podcast, I was thinking to myself, hey, what's, what's something we can do to make a little bit of a splash for Bookfaces Live? would I be able to, to do a little bit of an event and attract some people to that and maybe meet some new authors? And what I did was uh, an event called Authors and Airplanes. Because I am a, uh, a pilot and I have access to airplanes here in St. Pete, and because St. Petersburg is such a beautiful city to see from the air, I decided that I would put on a little bit of a gathering at the Hangar Restaurant downtown, which is right at the airport. And it's great food, uh, great drinks, good place for people to hang out and get to know one, one another um, as fellow authors. And I thought that would be a cool excuse to get people down and, and hanging out. And I was given free, free uh, plane rides. So I went ahead and gave some free rides out to the beach um, for quite a few authors. Maybe a, maybe a dozen authors or, or more uh, were able to get, get rides out to the beach. And we had a blast. Anyone's interested in seeing what that looked like, 
Uh, Roy Prenas, who was in attendance, uh, shot a cool little video that's um, a little bit farther down the page. If you guys want to check out the video, he did a great job of putting that together. So um, anyway, so Book Faces Live had its very first in-person event, and I think it was a great success, and I heard a lot about it throughout the course, the rest of the conference. I think it's going to be uh, quite a few more people there next year who come and take advantage of that. So that was that was a blast. Thank you. If anyone's watching, if you were a, a guest, uh, thank you for coming. If you're if you weren't and you want to make it again next year, that is open to all um, viewers of the show. You don't necessarily have to be a, a member of the Nink Conference. So if you happen to be here next year when I'm throwing authors in airplanes and you want to stop by and go for a plane ride with me out to the beach and uh, cruise around and see St. Pete from the air, stop in, check out Authors and Airplanes next year. I think it was uh, a good success and I'll do it again. So that is why there was no episode last week and this is um, why it will be just me this, this time around. So for uh, those of you who are, who are watching live, if you have questions, I mean, I, I don't typically... Um, love to do solo episodes because you know just hearing one person talk for a while um, can be challenging as an episode. But this is a live episode, so if you have comments, questions, things you want to to say or or, or wondering about, or if, or if you just want to say hello, um, that's great. I see Doug has has ch- chimed in. I see Cecilia chimed in. Thank you for helping me sort out my audio issues in the beginning of this uh, episode. I really appreciate that. But um, so I'm going to start off by talking just a little bit about what Novelist Inc. is and why this conference is worth coming to if you are an author um, or if you are an aspiring author and you're looking for where, where's the goal, where do you want to be at. Novelist Inc. is a little bit different from other conferences in that it has a bit of um, a bar you have to get to, to to enter. You have to have published at least two books and those books have to have made, if you're an indie author, I think it's, it's $5,000 in, in a given year or I think you're a tr- if you're a traditionally published author, those books have to have made at least $2,000 in a given year um, just because the royalties are different. So there's a little bit of a bar to entry. So what I equate it to is if you were taking, you know, where another, co- another conference may be sort of like 101, 102 level courses in how to be an author, this is next level stuff. This is junior, senior year stuff for, for college level um, analogies. So everyone there knows what they're doing, they've already got at least a couple of pu- books published, and they're already at least somewhat successful. That's the floor of what's there. The ceiling, sky's the limit. There's people there that are uh, well into to the mid-six figures or, or seven figures in, in what they're earning. And there's folks there that have got, you know, a hundred books or more than a hundred books there. So that's that's one of the big things that um, I was always blown away by. You know, I show up, I've managed to make a successful career so far out of just having five novels, and that's um, something that I, I'm happy with that, but I'm, I'm constantly trying to write more, and one of the reasons why um, this conference is so exceptional is because there's so many successful authors who've been doing this for a long time, and they've continued to come back to this conference, and they com- content- continue to come back and teach at this conference and provide material. So the, the speakers were amazing. I'll get into that in just a minute. But that is kind of what Nink is. It's, it's a little bit of a, a separate entity that way. It originally started out with a lot of romance writers who, as we all know, are the, the cutting edge of publishing usually, where the romance, that's where the, the highest volume of readers are. So if you are writing in the romance genre, you are having to adapt faster and uh, move quicker than anyone else to sort of tr- kind of stay on top of the trends. So that's, that's a, a great, if you're going to learn something, you should probably learn it from a romance author because 
they're they're always on their A game. They have to be because it's a very competitive market. So it originally started out as sort of a, a, a romance-heavy conference, and it was a very a traditional publishing-heavy conference. But because so many romance authors have shifted into more of an indie mindset or a hybrid mindset, uh, the conference itself has shifted that way, and they're very welcoming of indie authors and especially successful indie authors. So um, you, you see some really amazing talent showing up there. Uh, in addition to, of course, the, the attendance and the attendees, there's some really big-time sponsors that show up at this thing. Uh, Amazon is there um, you know, representing KDP. We had uh, Kobo. We had Barnes & Noble. ACX, Podium, BookBub, Readsy, BookFunnel, Draft2Digital, Vellum, and um, Findaway Voices was there. Pretty much everybody who has a presence in the publishing industry has a rep at Novelist Inc. Because they know that this is, this is where the game is. This is this is where people come to play hard. So, and usually those 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 presenters will come and and bring their A game for this. So, as far as speakers this year, there was a, a wonderful uh, lineup of speakers, and um, some of the the luminaries of the indie publishing industry were there. Joanna Penn from uh, the Creative Pen was there. Mark Dawson, James Blatch, uh, John Dyer, and Cecilia Mecca uh, from. The self-publishing formula podcast and the self-publishing, I guess it's going to be called the self-publishing show in the future because they're moving in more into video. Uh, they were there and gave a great presentation. Um, Cecilia, I see you watching. It was a fantastic pre presentation and I'm, I'm so glad you were there and, and presenting. Um, in addition to them, we had um, David Gogren was there, author of, of Let's Get Digital, previous guest of the show, and I uh, hope future guest of the show. He did a presentation on BookBub ads, which was very well received. Um, we had, like I said, Reedsy was there, so Ricardo Fayette from uh, Reedsy gave some excellent presentations on, on Facebook. Sean Coyne from the Story Grid podcast and from the book Story Grid was, was a presenter. So yeah, some of these big time indie names that we see um, were there and, and presenting, as well as a, a host of really excellent traditionally published authors who have, you know, ex were excelling in their field and have have come to share some of that knowledge, that depth of, of traditionally publishing knowledge with us. Um, a couple of the big ones, uh, William Bernhardt, who has the uh, Red Sneakers podcast, and he has a, a series of writing books. He gave an, an excellent talk, and then in what was perhaps one of my favorite talks. Um, Dr. Jennifer Lynn Barnes, who is a cognitive scientist, on top of being um, a successful author, gave a, an amazing, uh, pop, amazing talk on sort of the psychology of why we love fiction. I'm going to get into that a little bit more in detail throughout the rest of this episode. So, um, so that's that's sort of just some of the star power that was there, if you will, and one of the reasons why I love to show up there because I. When I show up, I am just a sponge. I know that I am basically, I've, I've met the bar to get in, but there's just tons of knowledge that can just be uh, absorbed. So I go there with the attitude that I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to just communicate with everyone that's there because the level of um, talent in the terms of authors is just as good. Some of the roundtable discussions we had were amazing, and um, I can't wait to share some of the takeaways uh, from this whole um, process with you. So... Um, I can't talk necessarily about absolute specifics because some of the, the talks that were given at this NINC conference were pr proprietary to 
the authors, and some of them are sharing new information that is about to come out in books, for example, or things that they were asked, asked specifically just to share at Mink because it is such a next level uh, conference. So I won't be able to share all of the details of what was seen there, um, but I will be able to share my takeaways from those scenes. That's what I'm going to do in this episode. And and I wasn't able to attend every seminar because there's multiple tracks going simultaneously, but I was able to, to gather a lot of information from other authors and, and share knowledge. And I have so much to learn, but I've, I've learned a ton that I can apply now towards my author business. And I'm looking forward to sharing that information with all of you so that you too can absorb some of this as well. And if you are quali- if you qualify to come to this conference next year, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think that is the place to be if you are a successful author and you want to level up your game, be there next year. If you aren't quite there yet in terms of sales, this gives you a great goal to shoot for. Say, okay, this is a specific goal. I want to meet this goal so that I can be at this conference. Therefore, when I get to this level, I'll be able to level up from there. So if you're just starting out, you're just writing your your first couple books, for example, maybe you're, you're working on trying to make them sell. Start with some of the, the fantastic 101 type courses, such as Self-Publishing Formulas uh, 101 course, SPF 101, Mark Dawson's uh, fantastic course on self-publishing, as well as some of the books that are out there. David Gogren's book, Let's Get Digital, is a great example of a book that you can uh, check out right now. To start, start building the machinery of your author business so that it starts outputting success. And that's one of the, the big things that I think is important to have the groundwork. And then on top of that, you start just feeding in um, more experience on top of that, and then it produces the results you're looking for. So I'm going to do something unusual probably. Typically when someone talks about the takeaways and the um, best parts of a particular seminar or course, they usually wait for the number one tip um, for the very end. They would make me do a countdown and go through all the other stuff, hoping that you'll stick around till the very end of the podcast. But I'm not going to do that to you guys. I'm just going to say what I think is my number one takeaway. Um, and then I'm just going to go through all of the courses that I went through and um, just sort of talk about the highlights from each one and what, what I'm going to take home from this and apply to my author business right away. So the number one thing that I picked up on from this conference was that um, the difference between the, the authors here and the, different, and the authors that are at other conferences, the number one common difference is volume, total volume of books. When I would sit down at lunch to chit-chat with, with folks that were there, the vast majority of the people there had, when I asked them, hey, how many books have you written? The numbers were 30, 40, 60, 100 books. These people have really high volume. So... In, to use the, the analogy of the machinery, I liken it to the idea of making orange juice. You know, I'm, I live in Florida. We have a lot of oranges. We make a lot of orange juice. So if your author business is the machine, that is the juicer. You have tweaked it. You have built it. You have used your, you know you how to use a mailing list. You know how, you have a website. You have a product that has, um, you know, links in the front and the back. You've got back matter. You've got, you know, chapters that lead from one book to the another, to another. You have all these things built into the machinery of your author business. You know how to do that, and then you're just putting in content, which is books. And at the end of this, you get the juice. So my, my personal thoughts are that I have built the machinery of this. It works. I just need to make, in order to make more juice, 
I've got to have more oranges. So that was the number one thing I took away from this. And I realized that the current pace that I am producing at, you know, we, there's been a big talk in, there's a lot of discussion right now, and especially in the indie space about volume and how fast you can put out books successfully. And the fact is, if you can produce books, you know, multiple books a year, you know, maybe one every 90 days or so, you're going to do far better, not just because of the short term, not just because it keeps you in Amazon's algorithms and such like that, those sort of short-term strategies, but because long-term, you are building the building blocks of, of consistent success. For those of you who were able to watch the episode a couple weeks ago with Lindsay Baroker, she mentioned that she has never had a breakout hit. She has never had one book that took off and has you know ever hit you know, the major tops of the charts. However, she has 60 books, so she is consistently producing quality content over time and that is resulting in success. So put more oranges in your juice machine. That was my number one one takeaway from this. I went out and bought some dictation software while I was there, downloaded it and said, you know what, I need to level up my production. What are some strategies that are out there for me to increase my volume? I'm a slow typist. I said, well, how can I solve that problem? I'm switching to dictation. I'm gonna to try to start just producing it at a more rapid pace. One of the other things that I've, I've discovered recently, which I got from a tip that was on the self-publishing formula podcast prior to the conference um, was the idea of Novel Factory. And Novel Factory is a software program that helps you outline in more detail. So I um, I started uh, getting into to really more detailed scene beats and things like that. Uh, StoryGrid is another one of those excellent resources. The StoryGrid book that Sean Coyne uh, was talking about at the conference is another great outlining resource. There are several out there. Uh, but I, I personally have found that Novel Factory was a great solution for me. So add that to your tech tips notes for things to, to gain from um, from that. Cecilia says that uh, I noticed that as well. And since you're sharing the number one tip and I have to run and get my kids, I'll share mine as well. Uh, she says, I'm coasting along, happy to be working from home and living the writer's life. Nink reminded me this is a business and the most successful authors treat it that way. Watching what top authors do, tweaking, testing and never resting. I'm on fire and ready to roll now. Thank you, Cecilia. That is an excellent way to phrase it. And that is the common theme that has come out from the authors I've talked to. Uh, I made a lot of great new friends, some other local friends, and everybody coming out of this conference is just lit on fire, ready to level up their game and, um, and build their author careers after this. So uh, thank you, Cecilia, for that, for that excellent comment. And if anyone else has, has comments, whether you're watching live or whether you're watching in the replay, if you want to chime in with your comments or questions, I'm happy to pop back in later on and answer those for you. Okay, so moving on to, to the actual uh, takeaways from this, this uh, course in addition to uh, volume. So my number one tip was volume. Number two, which I, I think was um, highlighted well here, was that this is a community of indie authors and traditionally published authors coexisting in the same space and learning from each other. There has been a tendency lately um, in some of some parts of the indie community to sort of hold on to some angst about maybe you never got an agent or maybe you didn't have this traditional path opened up for you. There, yes, there were gatekeepers to the traditional method of, of publishing. And that has been the case for a lot of years. And now things are different. But I think that it is a... Um, it is an error to suggest that we cannot learn from our traditionally published uh, co companions and, and friends and peers in, in the author industry. There are folks there 
especially the traditionally published folks who have gone hybrid or gone indie after or are continuing with their traditionally published uh, methods, that have a depth of knowledge and a depth of history that cannot be discounted. And um, I would caution against any new indies who are saying that you know they, they can't learn from the traditional publishing model because I have heard that in the past, you know, just sort of a general attitude, and I think that's very false. There are some um, great ways to learn from each other. All One of the common themes I had, um, things that were voiced during different roundtables and such, were about how you know, traditional publishers are learning from indies and about how maneuverable we are and how we market and ways that we can adapt and change and build new strategies. And that it's a very exciting time to be an indie. Um, and the, the traditional publishers, traditional published authors are learning from us at a rapid pace. However, we have to turn around and learn from them as well because, like I said, they have this depth of knowledge that we don't have. We don't have the contacts because they did make it through the gatekeepers. They had the contacts in the industry. They were, for better or for worse, uh, been through the ringer that is traditional publishing and either came out successful or not, but they've, they've got a wealth of experience to share about that. And they have a wealth of contacts in the industry who may be editors, uh, cover designers, uh, publishers who, who may not be with their, things are changing. Not all these people are with the same people, with the same companies and um, publishers they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Now they're maybe in the, the market looking to help others. So um, never shy away from a conversation with someone who is at this type of conference, especially because they're all successful. Everyone's doing something right and we can learn from each other. So that was my tip number two. And I think that that's, that's just something important to, to, to learn and to go ahead with. So um, I want to go through just some, some of just the actual classes that I, I, I went to. And this is something that, um, like I said, Nink offers a variety of courses. So this is not a one-size-fits-all type of conference that people can go to where it's, everyone's in the same room and they're just going through the same tracks, learning the same stuff. The nice thing about that is that different people want to emphasize different parts of their author business. And one of the uh, goals of this conference, the, the name of this conference or the theme of it was called Craft Your Perfect Career. And there was an emphasis on that word craft because they offered some very craft-focused talks. In addition to the marketing, some people said, yeah, marketing's great, marketing's great, but I really want to focus on becoming a better writer. So there were some excellent talks that were, that were focused on that. And I think that's an important thing to, to take away as well, that no matter how successful we get at marketing, we need to be spending time on honing our craft. And there are some uh, excellent books that, that came out of this, um, and I'll be chatting about those a little bit. I'll share some of those examples of some great craft books that you might want to pick up as a result of, of this. So um, day one, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday evening was, was a big get together. Uh, there were some night owls and such, but I was hanging out with Mark Dawson's crew at the, at the, the Shark Tooth Tavern and I didn't go to the, to the night owls that night, but I did come in bright and early Thursday morning um, and ready to tackle some of this amazing content. Our, the first speaker I went and listened to was Joanna Penn, who is from the, the Creative Pen podcast. If you're familiar with creativepen.com, it's pen with a double N. Um, I listen to her show every week and she has a wealth of knowledge about um, information in the industry and she's very forward thinking. She's always thinking 10 years ahead of where we are now. So um, it's a great idea to, to listen to what Joanna Penn has to say, whether it fits your particular solutions or not. 
It's always a great podcast. So her first talk was about content marketing. And her main message that she broadcasted for us was um, it is important that content for, we create content as uh, authors. And content marketing is a way to create valuable, relevant, consistent content to a clearly defined audience that drives profitable customer action. That was her, her tip. So she said that 70% of people would rather learn through content. Um, a lot of people will follow along with content that they like. If you are a fan of a particular brand, you will typically read their blogs, you will watch their videos, you will uh, follow along with, with any content that they put out. And this essentially creates a funnel of bringing people towards you as an author, and the more content you continue to put out, the, the more of a brand you build. And this is kind of um, related to the, old, the idea of that people are more likely to uh, buy something or uh, interact with, engage with something that they know, like, and trust. And she um, had some great tips on how to create interest, which then creates desire, and then creates actual action. Okay, so attention comes first. You have to get some, a little bit of attention, which is through your content, whether it's through uh, blog posts that you're writing, video content that you're creating. Um, and by doing that, you're building that relationship, that trust with readers or with you know, whoever your customers are. And then that creates a desire for them to, to know more about you. So it's important to then translate that into um, you know, interest in you personally and your brand before you ever go and make an ask and say, hey, you know, buy this product. Because at that point, they're ready to, to it's not a sale. They're investing in you, they're inve they trust you, they know that you wouldn't be pitching something that isn't a, uh, a valid product, okay? So that's something that you can take away from that talk. Uh, a couple of things that she recommended. She uh, recommended, of course, being very consistent with your, your videos. Something that I took away from that was when I am putting out videos whether it's with this podcast or whether it's with my uh, Facebook group that I use, I'm going to be more consistent. I'm going to show up at a consistent time, schedule things as, I, as best as possible, and work to develop a sort of brand loyalty. Brand is something that came up frequently throughout this, this conference, how to actually build a brand and make sure that you are not just you, you are what you represent. You, you are presenting um, almost a character of yourself. The closer you are to that character in real life, obviously, is um, more authentic, and authenticity is something that people value. But it's not always possible. You know, maybe you write, you know, steamy erotic romance, and you're actually a uh, a grandmother who has a, a quiet home life. You can't necessarily, you know, present yourself as steamy erotic, um, you know, edgy all the time in real life. But that doesn't mean that that can't be your brand online. So that's the great thing about uh, content. It's always online. It's always international. And we can be that presence and be consistent about it online. So great takeaways from uh, Joanna Penn and the Creative Pen. If you want to check out how she does it, visit jfpen.com. Um, there's some other great links she talked about. She says, you know, check out Bookstagram, hashtag Bookstagram on Instagram. Check out um, some, some tools like Linktree, um, Maybe Wattpad. Maybe check out Wattpad and talk about maybe serializing some of your, your content and, and getting it out in the world in a way that's kind of a consistent delivery that's slowly building your brand. Okay, so that was, that was my takeaways uh, from that. My goals are now for myself is to, to be more consistent, 
Work on growing in a defining a brand and a brand goal. What is my goal as a brand, not just my goal as an author? Um, and then start to create a body of work for long-term stability. Okay, so that's the takeaway from Joanna. So next session I went to right after that was from Mark Dawson. Mark Dawson is the um, the, the name behind the self-publishing formula and Mark Dawson's ads for authors course. He also has a self-publishing 101 course, which I mentioned, which I, I have purchased both of those. I can recommend them personally if you're just starting out or if you're looking to up your ads um, strategy. Um, he was nice enough to share his launch with us, what, what he does in a launch. And um, this is a big part of an author's uh, success, especially if you are in Kindle Unlimited, which is something different from what um, Joanna Penn is doing. Joanna Penn is a, a huge advocate and a standard bearer for having your books in wide distribution and not just putting all of your eggs in Amazon's basket. Um, Mark has also been in wide distribution for much of the time. However, right now, Mark has got most of his stuff in Kindle Unlimited, and he's and he's adjusting strategies to produce the maximum results, and he's frankly killing it. And you can check out Mark Dawson's website. You can get some really great content on how to, to produce ads, and you can um, uh, learn more about that at selfpublishingformula.com. Okay. And so th some things some things to try out, be, be aware of BookBub's pre-order alerts. It's something that's relatively new. Um, that's a tip to take away. He's using a lot of Facebook Live. Video content came up as a big thing um, throughout the, the conference and the importance of using video in your Facebook ads because Facebook rewards interaction um, from, from users who are using Facebook Live. And that's something that came up in the next conference, in the next class as well. I went to James Blatch, also self-publishing formula. Uh, his his talk that I went to after that was dealing with how to use Facebook Live effectively, and he discussed about how the um, the overall reach of of this type of content is is so much better um, by leaps and bounds, especially if you're using it for advertising. So one of the things that one of the personal takeaways I, I had from Mark's launch strategy. Uh, like I said, I won't go into the whole thing and share all of how he does it. You can find that on his website. And if you're on his mailing list, he's very good at sharing this information. I recommend it. Um, but one of the takeaways I got from that was the idea of the seven touches. We've all heard about the idea that it takes sometimes up to seven times for someone to see our content before they finally get around to clicking on it and buying it. And I've con I understand the concept. I've used the concept you know, mentally and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to retarget my my uh, newsletter subscribers or the Facebook ad, et cetera. But I'm not really going for seven times. I'm not actually, I'm too shy about saying, yeah, they probably haven't bought it yet because I only saw it once. I'm maybe going to put it out there. None of us want to be too salesy, hopefully. That's a goal to not be too much of a salesman, just like Joanna Penn was saying. We, they have to know, like, and trust us, and we don't want to lose that trust by being exceptionally salesy. So uh, how do we deal with that? Well, we, we try to find different solutions to how we um, retarget our readers. So it's not just via uh, our newsletters. It's not just via one, one tool such as Facebook. It's multiple tools. It's BookBub ads, Facebook ads, newsletter swaps, um, things like that. Like you you got to be able to, to, to fluctuate the way you input this thing. 
um, and how you reach your readers have multiple ways to get there. Facebook groups are great. Uh, they work a little bit better than Facebook pages, things like that. So just don't be shy in finding new ways to reach your reader. Don't assume that because you're reaching them one way that they're absorbing the content. Make sure that you've got a variety of ways for them to interact with you and potentially see your books. So that was a big takeaway for me. I need to emphasize a few more strategies to not just rely on one tool to, to sell my books, especially during launches. Okay, um, a couple key takeaways from that. Like I said, use um, video. He recommended a site called Pond5 for stock video, which I had not heard of yet. And then later on in a talk with, um, I was with uh, the with Ricardo from Reedsy, also brought that back up, and he also brought up a couple of others. So if you're looking to create compelling Facebook advertising, try using some stock video footage because it's something that Mark Dawson does in his launch strategy, and it seems to work very well. All right. Speaking of video, moving on to the next um, session I went to was uh, James Blatch and um, Cecilia Mecca. And Cecilia, who commented earlier, says uh, in some of her, she, she actually has a, uh, a module in Mark's Ads for Authors course about Facebook Live video because she uses it incredibly well. Cecilia is a former guest of the show. You can check out her, her episode on um, historical romance or medieval romance, rather. Uh, I think she's one of the very early episodes of Book Faces Live, so definitely go check out that video. It's a lot of fun. But she is a pro at engaging her audience using Facebook Live. So they use a program called BeLive. I looked into it. I thought about trying it out for myself. I'm, I'm currently using Ecamm Live, which is a little bit better for me to uh, turn it into a podcast. So there's different ways. There's different solutions. But BeLive was a, a great takeaway if you're looking to get into uh, Facebook Live streaming and you want to do it in a professional way that is, um, you know, looks good. Check that out. Um, one of the other tips, which I'm using right now, is the Aki desk lamp that Cecilia mentioned. So in, in a tech world, if you're looking for a way to light your videos in a little bit better uh, fashion, I just purchased this Aki desk lamp based on a recommendation by Cecilia Mecca because all the YouTubers are doing it. Everybody has to have some decent lighting. I'm trying to work on up in my game when it comes to audio. Obviously, that didn't work out at the beginning of the episode. I had to unplug my handy-dandy nicer headset and just go back to the earbuds here, but whatever works. Um, so that, that was just some tech tips. And then um, she used you know, a couple, couple little tips that they threw in there that, that make sure that you're not overwhelming your lives with too many people. They recommended maybe not using more than four or so. But you take, take advantage of it, get other authors to chat with, maybe do some group giveaways, that sort of thing really build your author brand and, and spread your your uh, brand around via other authors. So good tips. And a lot of stuff that you can apply towards some of the other um, tools and strategies we're going to talk about. Okay, so uh, we're going to dive right into the next one. So later on in the day, I was able to uh, check out a, a, a talk which was called Writing the Super Genre Novel. And this was basically the idea of making sure that you write your novel in a way that can appeal. If you're looking to, tr to try to create a big bestseller, if you are going the other way from um, just trying to build consistent content that sells over time and you're trying to hit a big chart topper, you need to maybe focus some of your firepower a little wider 
but some of the tips that they had for this um, were using less novelist or more novelistic language and less genre language, things like that. If you're writing in fantasy, uh, if you're using common tropes that you expect others to know before they even get into the book, um, these are some of the things that might prevent you from creating the super genre novel. I'm personally not worried about that. I, I would like to actually fine tune and, and target my um, my audience a little bit more. And so this is something that I sort of disagree with a little bit, but I understood the takeaways and that I understand that there are some people who are striving very hard to try to have this big hit. And one of the things, some other tips that they said in order to do that, um, work on your scale. So if you want to hit hit a big, big win with this book, um, try considering writing a story with an ambitious sweep of time, ambitious landscape, ambitious message. Um, use less genre language, like I said, and um, try to really hone in on why does the world need this particular novel from you? Why are you the one that can deliver this particular message in a way that no one has heard before? So some things that to, some quick takeaways from the super genre uh, session. So um, moving on to a craft talk. So I, I went and sat in on a craft talk and I thought this was, was really fun because um, I've been always trying to step up my game when it, when it comes to craft. And like I said, I think it's important that everyone does. I try to read a craft book in between writing every book just so that I make sure that I've got some new tools in my arsenal. So this this session was by William Bernhardt, who has um, a very deep depth of knowledge on creating character. Like I said, he has a, a podcast as well called the Red Sneaker Podcast, if you'd like to check that out. And you can uh, learn some things about craft from William. Um, he started off his session with a quote from Kurt Vonnegut, which was pretty good. He says, the first step in making a story should be creating a character who wants something. And we've all heard that, the, the innate desire but one of the things he did after this, which I thought was interesting, was he asked each one of us to list our favorite characters from novels. He said, he said pick three. Pick three of your favorite characters from fiction. And what this did was it sort of made you focus in on the most memorable characters, like the top of the top, in terms of memorable characters in any book that you've read, which is, I think, really... Um, Really an interesting way to to understand what it is that you love in fiction. Because this is going to be different from person to person. Personally, when I think about that, the most compelling characters, that my little list was Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird, Atreyu of the Greenskins from the book The NeverEnding Story, and uh, another character which I was I sort of mentally surprised myself with because he's not actually a person I actually like. He's not a character I like, but it was... Um, Howard Rourke from The Fountainhead. And I realized that even though this character wasn't someone that I particularly wanted to be like, or not, wouldn't someone I, be someone I wanted to hang out with, it was someone who stuck with me in a memorable way, and, which is exactly what we're trying to do with our fiction. So, And what I did was I said, okay, what he asked us to do is, after you've named your the three most influential characters, the most memorable characters you've read about in fiction, look at them. What is it about them that's connected? What is it that you can learn from these characters? For me, it was fairly obvious, and that's something I hadn't thought about before, I hadn't connected these dots, was that Atticus Finch, a trade from the Neverending Story, and Howard Rourke are idealists. They were all um, characters of incredible integrity, 
who did not change under pressure. Um, Atticus Finch did not buckle under the, the force of the mob and the racism and in the court case when he was dissent, defending um, the case of, of uh, I want to say his name was Tom, who was uh, falsely accused of rape. And it was an amazing book that I've read multiple times and always gotten something out of, but it, it, Atticus Finch as a hero is because of his integrity. Atreyu of the Greenskins in The NeverEnding Story takes on the burden of the adventure of The NeverEnding Story for the benefit of Bastion Balthazar Bucks. And at the end of the book, those of you who have, have read the novel will know that Atreyu continues to shoulder that burden even after Bastion has, has left. He, he agrees to go on and continue and finish all of the adventures that Bastion started and couldn't complete for himself. He is selfless, idealistic. He is the hero we all wish we could be. Um, Howard Rourke would rather burn a or blow a building up than build something that doesn't uh, suit his kind of artistic ideals. He is an idealist who would rather be poor and you know living, you know, you know, in poverty than uh, build a building that he doesn't think is actually beautiful. He's a complete idealist and Ayn Rand's um, ideal man. So, I think it's important for you as an author. And it's a fun exercise as a reader as well to say, who are the characters that move me? Why do they move me? What is the theme? What is the connection? What is it that I love to read? And what is it that I love to write? And make sure that you are kind of identifying those things in your fiction. And that's that was kind of my big takeaway because some of the, the big characters that stick with us, uh, Lizbeth Salander from uh, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, um, was an example. Sherlock Holmes was another great example. These are characters we wouldn't necessarily want to be. You know, Sherlock Holmes is antisocial. He has, you know, Elizabeth Sounder is incredibly antisocial. You know, Sherlock has a drug problem. These are not characters that we would that we would necessarily want to hang out with and wouldn't necessarily be nice to hang out with, but they're incredibly memorable characters. And that's what we have to create with our fiction. So the key, one of the keys to understanding that is understanding what it is that we like first so that we can then figure out why we like it and then put that into our own fiction. That's important. That's something we're going to delve into just a little bit more when I talk about Jennifer Barnes's talk on uh, titles and buzzwords. So um, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the other takeaways from, from the, the character talk was don't try to develop every character. Try to focus on four and five. Four, four to five of your characters should be fully fleshed out in a novel. The rest don't need to be three-dimensional because if you send the wrong cues, if you try to flesh out a character and then you never go anywhere with it, if they don't end up being a major character, you're misleading your audience. So maybe try to take pick four or five main characters in each story, um, fully develop them, make them appealing to the reader. Um, he, the comment he made was that a protagonist must have a goal or, goal or desire, like Kurt Vonnegut says, they have to have a chance to obtain it, and they need something uh, that makes them, him or her, appealing to the reader in this process. Um, a protagonist can be empathetic because they are very good at what they do, um, they have a sense of humor, Maybe they treat others well. There are things that we like, and there are reasons why we like the characters we like. And you know, sometimes they're an underdog. Sometimes that it's just other people have shown that they're worthy of love. Maybe you show them loving someone, or you may, maybe you show someone loving them back. And it makes us empathize with that character. And, and if you don't have those elements, uh, it can be off-putting for the reader. If someone, you know, if we don't have a reason to invest in this character, we aren't going to. So make sure that you... You know, make sure that you show that this character has friends, that we would want to at least find something worthwhile or noble in this character that we can get on board with. Um, okay, so next up, um, the other, the other 
topic I wanted to talk about is um, the next session was developing your books with Ingram Spark. The next session I went to at Ingram was there. So for those of you who are um, self-published authors and you have put all of your energy into publishing on Amazon, you may be leaving some money on the table by not also going wide with your print books. You can go wide with, with your indie books as well, um, but I know for me personally, I'm definitely going to spend some time and in, in invest in getting print editions of my books in wide distribution, possibly the libraries, things like that, um, just to sort of broaden the reach. It's time for that for me. I'm at a point in my career where you know, I'm, I've got the e-book scene covered. I've got the, the paperback scene covered on Amazon. It's good to broaden that reach, extend the footprint a little bit. And Ingram is a great way to do that. Key steps, key takeaways from this, uh, make sure that you buy your own ISBNs from Bowker.com. And if you already have purchased your own ISBNs before for your Create Space books, if you're going to want to transfer them over to KDP Print, which you're having to do now anyway because KDP Print is um, the only option now, there's no more Create Space, Ingram can take your, your Create Space files and transfer them to Ingram Spark. If they, if they have historic data there from CreateSpace, they can transfer that, assuming if you use your own ISBN. If you purchased, if you didn't purchase an ISBN and you have used the CreateSpace ISBN, um, if they assign one for you, it's not going to work. You would have to still go out and get your own ISBN for that. So, uh, but check out Bowker and buy yourself a pack of 100 ISBNs. It's way cheaper if you buy them in bulk. You can buy them in 10, but I, I burn through 10 pretty quickly. So I'm gonna go out, gonna go out and buy myself a pack of 100 ISBNs. It's a big investment, but you know what? High volume, I'm gonna write more, a lot more books and um, I'm gonna need those ISBNs. It's important to control the data and control your, keep your name as the publisher of record. So use ISBNs for your own stuff. Don't, don't get the, the freebies from um, sites that offer them to you. Okay, um, another key takeaway from that talk was when you're setting up your your codes, your BISAC codes, those of you who are familiar with publishing will know that the BISAC codes are what get us put in the right bookstore shelves. So if you're writing humorous mystery and also maybe some suspense or women's fiction, it basically determines which shelf your book would go on. And this is the case even in a virtual scenario, even if your um, your book is just an ebook, it still has to be shelved somewhere. They have to know what it is and, and where to put it. So one of the, the tips that they mentioned for Ingram, which I, I did not know before this, was it's important the order that you list those in. You should always uh, list the most specific BISAC code first, then go broader. Okay, you shouldn't use the broad one like Thriller first, and then niche, you know, more niche down below that as you know, women's mysteries, thrillers, and suspense, or something like that. Like you, you got to use this very specific topic first, then go into the um, the broader categories. And when it comes to using metadata on Bowker, you can use more keywords than you can in uh, KDP in your dashboard. Instead of just being limited to seven, you can have more. You can have ten. You can. There's actually not a limit, but at a certain point, it stops being useful because there are certain retailers that only accept certain amounts. So, but string some phrases together. Um, don't be shy about putting keywords in your bio and your description as well to improve your search engine optimization. Uh, one of the other big <clears throat> takeaways from this talk with Ingram Spark 
was the idea of returns. So if you're do dealing with English Spark and you're trying to get your books into a bookstore, you have to understand that a bookstore is only going to be attracted to your books and to, to, attracted to stocking your books if they have the option to return. So you need to factor that cost in because unsold books are going to be shipped back to you and you're going to pay the price for that. You're not going to pay a retail price, but you are going to pay the um, the the price that the the publisher had to or the bookstore had to had to pay to get there. So you're going to give them they're going to be buying them at a discount. You'll pay that discounted price to get them back. You do have the option to get them back sent back to you instead of being destroyed. So so if maybe they have not sold these particular print copies, they can send them to your house and you can then save them and then you know reuse them for something else like book giveaways for your subscribers, things like that. Otherwise, they're just going to destroy them. Um, which is what happens to the majority of, of published books out there in the traditional space. They're just going to you know, tear the covers off and, and, and pulp them. So if you want to get that product back and, and recoup some of that cost, I recommend having them sent back to you. So that's something that I will plan to do. Okay. Um, there Also, if you're an Ingram ally, uh, if you're in the Alliance of Independent Authors, you get a discount. So there's a $49 setup fee. Um, with Ingram Spark, but you can get a discount on that if you're an Ingram ally. So maybe check that out and see if you can save yourself some money. Okay. Um, next session I went to, I really just went to because Damon Courtney is a hilarious man. Those of you who have watched the show for a while will have seen that we've had Damon Courtney from Book Funnel on as a previous guest of the show. And he is hilarious and amazing, and he also is a great karaoke singer. So if you happen to come to Nink, you will get to experience all of that, and it's fantastic. Um, but he gave a talk on, uh, the talk was titled, uh, The Book Funnel Guide to Reader Happiness by Damon Courtney. So uh, some, some big takeaways, those people who were at Nink last year will have heard about some of the cool things going on, uh, such as print codes. For your books, you can potentially have print codes that you can print onto bookmarks, um, business cards, etc., where people can use that code to then go download a free book, which I think is great. You can then just sell that, so you can sell ebooks at um, festivals, markets, things like that. You can actually just say, "Hey, two ninety nine will get you this card." As soon as you put it in your phone or your e-reader, you get yourself an ebook. <clears throat> Wonderful idea. Something that Damon came up with uh, fairly recently. Um, one of the tips he said was to make sure you're using the romance author trick of playing around with extended epilogues. This is something that I've done this past year. My, my fourth book in the time travel series comes with an extended epilogue. One of the cool things about using an extended epilogue as, as a giveaway, they're useless to freebie seekers. So if you're giving away other books, a lot of people might just be like, ah, I want the freebie, but I don't want to actually read it. I'm just going to put it on my Kindle and, and never buy anything else from you. Extended epilogue comes at the end of the story. So people have to have already read your book to actually even enjoy it. So you're not going to get freebie seekers seeking it and grabbing, snatching that up and ending up on your list and then never buying another thing from you ever again. The people that are going to, going to get it and get on your list are going to be people who have already enjoyed your book because they've gotten to the end of the book and they said, you know, this is amazing and it wrapped up. And then you're like, well, hey, do you want a little bit extra? Do you want to see one year later the wedding scene after these two lovebirds got together? Everyone's going to be at, the, at a all-time high from having just finished your book, and they're going to say, absolutely, we want to see that wedding scene. So they're going to go ahead and download their free uh, bonus epilogue. They'll end up on your email list. Guess what? Now you've got engaged readers, real organic readers who are invested. You know they're invested because they wouldn't have got the extended epilogue anyway, and now you can turn around and, and market future books to those 
and you know that it's a nice warm audience. It's not a, not cold leads as they call it when people um, just get your freebie and then sit on your list and never buy anything. So I'm gonna take a quick sip here. I'm not used to doing this much talking on these episodes, and I'm also not used to talking for this long. These episodes don't usually run this long, but I'm going to get through a few more sessions. Um, if necessary, uh, if it gets, starts to get out of hand, then I will maybe have to cut it off. Margaret is watching. Hi, Margaret. She was at the, at the, show, at the uh, conference, and she says, good stuff, Nathan. I really appreciate that, Margaret. And um, it was great getting to hang out with you and, and, and share some knowledge, um, you know, back and forth with the different sessions we went to. So one of the things about this conference, like I said, there's four different tracks. So some, whenever you go to one of these amazing sessions, you're missing three other amazing sessions. So it was really helpful to go with a friend, have friends there. You can kind of compare notes, split up, and go to different sessions and, and um, try to get the notes from someone else because there's just so much good stuff. So all the stuff I'm sharing about is just my particular track I went on. Someone else could have gone to this conference and done an entirely different conference, which is the cool thing about it. So um, the next, well, a couple more t- uh, key takeaways from Book Funnel. He said, uh, also experiment with the idea of serials, uh, experience, experiment with the idea of more short stories to your newsletter subscribers, etc., um, and also re- reward fans with discounts. Try out those single-use codes. If you want to um, try using them as giveaways for your subscribers, etc., or if you have any particular events, maybe launches, maybe you say, "Okay, yeah, I can. I'm going to send you a, a print code that you can then use, <clears throat> you know, or, you know, whatever it is. But you, you can use them in your swag, etc." Also, check out PayHip. He um, talked about the advantages of when you're doing direct sales from your website, which now BookFunnel also offers. You can sell things directly off your website. Use PayHip because you're not going to pay international sales tax. It's based in the UK. But um, you don't have to deal with the sales tax from the U.S. So if you're a U.S. author, you can still use them as a vendor, and they'll collect uh, you know five percent, I think, but you still make ninety-five percent of the money, and you don't have to worry about taxes. So good little um, hack there for selling things directly from your website. All right. So the next session I went to was back to Joanna Penn again from the Creative Pen, and her topic was seven ways to grow your book sales internationally. So she put up a big world map. And, and showed us all the places where her books have been sold, which was really cool. And um, one of the big advantages of being in wide distribution, of course, is that you're not limited to going to just the countries that Amazon sells in. Amazon has a lot of, of the biggest chunk of the market, but they're not in all the countries. So she's a big advocate of going wide just for the advantage of being able to get to more markets, start to tap into some of these other huge audiences of English readers out in the world that we do not have access to if we are only publishing on Amazon. So uh, she especially emphasized the emerging markets of India, Pakistan, and Nigeria. You can get to India through Amazon, but you can't get to Pakistan or Nigeria. Um, Why should we be concerned about these markets? India has 125 million English speakers. Compare that to the United Kingdom at 63 million. Okay, so massive amount more English readers in India than there are in England. So um, you've got to account for that when you're doing your advertising. Granted, you're not going to make a lot of money in India right now because books are so cheap. You're dealing in, in small amounts of rupees versus you know pounds over in the UK. But you are building a brand. You're building a present in an, emer- in an emerging market that is constantly growing and constantly bringing in new readers. So even those little bit of rupees add up. So be there. You know, get present. And like I said, if you're going wide, then you can start to be present in some of these other places like uh, Nigeria, which has 82 million people, 
and Pakistan, which has 92 million English speakers. So these are, these are big markets that you can tap into without, <clears throat> you know, if you're wide, okay? Mark says hi. Hi, Mark. Uh, good to see you. So that's amazing stats. Yeah, I'm glad you're, you're, you're saying hello. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting to know. I mean, people don't usually think about, you know, Pakistan or India being a bigger market, bigger uh, English-speaking market than, than the United Kingdom, but it is. Obviously, the U.S. is, is the biggest right now um, with, you know, over 200 million English speakers. Yeah, I think maybe 300. I how they calculated the amount of readers. Maybe it has something to do with age and demographics, for example. But um, you can check out Joanna Penn's um, blog. She has a great blog with a lot of content in which she talks about her different um, ways of reaching different readers. She's a big fan of Kobo. Kobo is fantastic. Um, Chrissy Monroe from Kobo was there, and she's a delight to hang out with. She's a wonderful human being, and um, encourage everyone to, to check out Kobo if you're in wide distribution or if you're just looking to, to purchase from other vendors other than Amazon. Because some people, uh, some people, they you know they want to support the other other vendors. Um, some good tips she talked about uh, was using country links for redirection, which is something that I do already, but it, it's worth repeating. I use um, books to read. Uh, it's books and then the numeral to read and basically what that is does is it creates a universal book link so that when someone clicks on it they don't immediately get taken to the US store because if you're in the UK it's kind of annoying if you click on a link and then it takes you to the US store then you have to not everyone knows that you can just go up and just you know type in .co instead of .com and then be directed to the same page not everyone knows that so it's nice if you can just give someone a link that automatically takes them to the store that they want to be at anyway so Books to Read and some of these other sites like Booklinker and uh, Reader Links give you the option to generate a link that the reader can click on and then select the store they want to go to. Then every time they click on another one of those links, it automatically takes them to the proper store. So I use those at the back of all my books. If someone's reading through my book, it doesn't matter what country they're reading in. If they click on it, it'll take them to the store that's appropriate for them because they get to choose it. Okay, um, so that's a good good tip for not aggravating your readers and taking away a few few little key steps um, and helping them get to your next book a little bit quicker. Okay, and then of course she talks about tracking your revenue over country or by country over time. Um, start maybe looking into a press website because some people might want to uh, reach out to you about your foreign rights, and the only way to do that they're more likely to reach out to you about purchasing your foreign rights as a book or as an author if you're with a publisher. So you may want to have a, even if you are an independent publisher, you want to have a, a publisher uh, front, maybe a website that faces out as the publisher and not just as the author, which is a takeaway for me. I do not have that yet. I have been working on it. Of My publishing company is called Skylighter Press, and I need to build myself. I bought the domain name already. I just haven't gotten around to uh, building my Skylighter Press uh, publishing website. And I think that's something that's important for me to focus on moving forward. So I think I would encourage anyone else who is also interested in potentially attracting foreign rights sales and deals to also um, present themselves as the publisher in addition to presenting yourself as the author. So that would be a good tip from Joanna. All right, some things to check out. Um, she mentions, again, the, the Alliance of Independent Authors, something to, to check out. She also uh, referred to the new publishing standard. Uh, Singularity Hub, Storytel, and the Author Licensing Collection Service, some things to research um, and maybe uh, look into to sort of level up your, your game. All right, so the next section session I went to was with 
um, Ricardo Fayette from Rizzi, also known as uh, Spanish Jesus, um, which has been his nickname at Ming for the last couple of years because he's Spanish and looks like Jesus. And he brings us awesome information um, that helps us, you know, in a, like a miracle, basically. And uh, I can't say enough nice things about Ricardo as a, a person, as a human being, and just uh, also as a professional, because he gave a fantastic talk on Facebook ads. And it's, it was interesting because we had, you know, Mark Dawson was there, for, and he's kind of almost synonymous with Facebook ads for authors because he has such a big course on it. But he's not the only game in town when it comes to, to ads. He was there actually presenting. He gave a, a course on, on book, uh, ad, or I'm sorry, on AMS ads. And uh, that was his advertising talk during the course. And of course, in addition to talking about launches. But it was actually Ricardo who uh, was filling the gap in Facebook advertising for us at the conference. So it was great to hear from a, a fresh voice, uh, fresh to me anyway. I know Ricardo's been doing this for a while. So it's not surprising that he would be... Um, giving this particular talk. But um, his, one of his first comments was that ads are not getting more expensive, audiences are getting more expensive. So that's something to, to think about. It's in uh, some key tips he gave us. He said, um, when you are you know, running into high, high, budget, high bids on your, with your ad spend, um, if you're working hard to try to advertise your own Facebook and it's, it's not working uh, because it's getting too expensive, try waiting it out because it may be that a publisher is you know, launching a new book right now and they're trying to hit the same audience at the same time. But th that publisher is probably going to do that for a week. Maybe there's a new book out and after a little bit, that's going to go away. So maybe just during those times when it seems like things are just getting really expensive really quickly, reduce your budgets, wait it out, and then try again a little bit later at a different time. Don't give up on it. Don't think, oh, this ad isn't working. I can't, this is just too expensive for me. This audience is too expensive. Be patient, um, be flexible, like, like, especially as an indie author, we've got to have the flexibility to work around what the, what the traditional publishing um, big houses are doing. Sometimes they're going to come in the market and just dump a bunch of money into the ad space and we're not going to be able to compete with that, but we can compete a better long term and over time because we're continuing to sell our stuff. We're not on a schedule. We don't have a catalog that we're trying to, to push out every three months and then forget about our old catalog. Our catalog is our life, so we will continue to sell it over time. Um, handy tip, uh, Ricardo says that January is the, the lightest month because everyone's throwing a lot of ads into the ad space around Christmas, trying to sell everything, getting ready for the holidays. Maybe try playing around with your ads in January and see if you can't get some traction then and, and get some, a little bit of cheaper, cheaper clicks. Um, take advantage of your lookalike audiences for sure on Facebook. If you've got a, a decent sized email list, maybe five to 10,000 people is ideal. Turn around and make that into a lookalike list on Facebook and then see if you can't uh, target some similar readers, but also um, video ads, video ads, video ads. Another um, reinforcement for, for what Mark Dawson was talking about and what um, you know, James Blatch was talking about. Video and live video are um, more engaging on Facebook. You get better visibility and you can, if you're running ads, try running some video ads because it's, it's a way to um, get more content out there. Okay, so um, some things he brought up upon five, which is the same, the, the same information that, that, uh, or the same website that Mark was talking about. Also Lumen five, which is a different site that, that, um, Ricardo recommended and Werble, W-E-R-B-L-E was a, um, a site that he recommended for getting stock video content that you can turn into awesome Facebook ads. Um, 
He recommends split testing. Definitely use your split test. Don't just assume that the one ad you made is going to work. Try running some different ads and, and, see, and test, test, test. Um, also try carousel ads for a little bit better performance because people are maybe getting tired. His, his theory is that maybe people are getting a little bit tired of static visuals, you know, just a, an ad, a static ad image, which is why video is being uh, more popular. Try playing around with the carousel ads as well because it gives something to do. Um, and, you know, um, in addition to just to watching that one, look at that one static ad, it gives you a little bit more interactivity. So <clears throat> just that's another uh, takeaway from Ricardo. All right, um, another uh, book he recommended. So Go is on the book list of things that you can check out as, as an indie to add to your bookshelf. That's it, Michael Cooper's um, Help My Facebook Ads Suck. He has a, a really cool tool in there that helps you um, calculate your, your revenue based on your, um, you know, your return on investment, etc. So um, be sure to, to check out Michael Cooper's book, Help My Facebook Ads Suck, and, and to kind of help you stream. He has a cool tool in there that you can enter in all your um, data and then really calculate how much you're earning from a particular book, assuming someone buys book one. What's the read-through like? Calculate your read-through so that you know that if they buy book one, how many people are likely to end up in book four or five and come out the other end and how much money can you expect to make? Because by knowing that helps you um, track how much money you should be spending on these ads to get somebody into the front of the funnel in the first place. Okay, so pay attention to that. Um, so that was just the first day of Nink. That was only the first day of, of sessions that I went through there. And uh, at the end of that day, we had a newsletter discussion. It was a roundtable topic on newsletters led by Wayne Stinnett. And that was exceptional. Um, and again, a big takeaway was Tammy Lebrecht's book. Tammy was a former guest of the show, and you can go check out her episode. I highly recommend you do if you scroll back through some of the previous episodes um, in the, the episodes post that I've got on the page. If you want to check out Tammy's episode, we interview her and discuss um, um, her, her, her new book, Newsletter Ninja. Uh, Newsletter Ninja is a great way to learn about how to engage your audience better. And in this roundtable discussion, we sort of spitballed a little bit about improving our newsletter engagement. It's something that I need to do better for sure, um, because I, you know, I'm only putting stuff out once a month. But and that's great for some people, but some people really are doing well with more content. And um, it's something to to think about. You know, try putting stuff out more often. I know David Gogren is is now switching to a once a week type method, and it has seen massive results in his um, in his reader engagement, and, and a big difference from from what he was doing before. So just by you know only only emailing when he had something new to say about his books and, and such. So the next uh, session I I got into was sales copy, and that was. Um, with Damon Swade. So Damon Swade, another book you can add to your, your book list. Um, he has a, a book called Your A-Game. You can check that out. Damon was hilarious. He's a really funny guy. He, he writes, he's, he writes uh, male male romance, which is you know, obviously a, a niche, so, but he does it well. So he's got a lot of um, information there, and he was talking about branding. Again, this is another big takeaway for me from the conference was working on building a brand. We talked about the idea of having a tagline for you as a brand. Um, there should be something that you are synonymous with. What 
are you as an author synonymous with when, when people think about your books? Is it adventure? Is it romance? Is it something, you know, is it steamy? Um, Lucy Score, who's been on the show before, has something along the lines of um, books so steamy she can't look her look her own family in the eye. Something something along those lines. It's it's catchy. It's engaging. It definitely tells you exactly what you're in for, which is, is important. When people see, visit your website and they see you as a brand, you want to advertise and kind of wave a little flag and say, "This is what you get here. This is what to expect." and and basically by waving that flag, you're saying, hey, everyone who loves this sort of thing, come to me. I've got your back. This is what you're going to consistently get from me as a brand. And um, savvy authors are using targeted taglines, targeted sales copy to drive that kind of engagement. So uh, check out and uh, tailor some blurbs for different markets. Um, an author that they recommend, I haven't researched yet, but they said research Susan Elizabeth Phillips, who apparently does this incredibly well. Um, this was a fun takeaway, which was go check out all of your reviews for your books. Try inserting all of those reviews into a word cloud and then figuring out what comes up. What are the most frequently used words about your fiction or about your nonfiction if you write nonfiction? What are the things that people are saying about you? And as, as uh, what are the buzzwords that <clears throat> are uh, being discussed when people talk about you as a brand? Figure out what that is, because if, if they know, but you know, you don't know, how are you going to advertise it? How are you going to wave that flag if you don't know what goes on the flag? So figure out um, what's on your flag. Um, and some other things to think about, maybe consider a brand Bible. Maybe just sort of think about your brand goals. Um, under, again, start looking at yourself as a character, as a representation of yourself, not just you as, a, as an individual, because you are a brand. You, you represent things, and it's something I plan to do a little bit more with my beta team and um, my reader groups, etc., and say, look, I really want to focus in on what it is you guys want from me as readers. <clears throat> How do I deliver more of that? Um, my thoughts are that you know I write adventure. I write endless, unlimited adventure. So that's sort of going to be my brand, Endless Adventure, because it's it's going to be, whether it's time travel, which I write, or whether it's you know other epic science fiction adventures, it's going to be an ongoing um, adventure with characters that you can root for. It's characters with integrity, like the Atreus and the Atticus Finches. It's people that, that you know will have integrity, and there's just going to be unending adventure. That's, that's what I want to bring to my readers. And if that's what people are on board for, I want them to know that right out of the gate to say, hey, this is what you're getting from Nathan Van Coops in his fiction. So um, think about that for yourself. Think about what, what is your brand? What is it that you really want to represent? And make sure that you're waving that flag. So um, so sales copy was a big one. I'm going to touch on, I've, I've been talking for over an hour, which is the longest I've ever done one of these episodes or podcasts. And so I'm going to try to wrap things up here and I'm not going to go through all of the sessions of the next day. I may do a, a second follow-up episode at some point. But I do want to touch on what was quite possibly my favorite session of the entire conference. And that was uh, Dr. Uh, Jennifer Lynn Barnes, who did a talk on, and she's the one who was the cognitive scientist. And she, the talk that I attended was the, the psychology of titles. And um, basically what this delved into is that the, the, the idea of buzzwords, again, and why we even like the fiction that we like. And not even that, but why do we even, as readers, why do we like fiction? What is it that we get from fiction 
and how do we deliver that more to our readers? And she talked about the idea of just the evolution of it. And she says that people didn't evolve to love cheesecake, is the example she used. People evolved to love things that had a lot of sugar and had a lot of fat and that were high in calorie because the people that weren't eating enough calories were starving to death. So the people who had the high calorie foods like fats and sugars were the ones that were surviving. So we evolved to love those types of foods. It's all in cheesecake, but those are the actual elements. So we have to look at the fiction that we're writing, the books we love, and we have to look at what are the individual elements? What are the things that we've actually developed to love as a culture, as a, as author, I'm sorry, as readers. And she delves into that, not just in one way, but in, in seven different ways in this conversation. She is writing a book about this, which I cannot wait to check out um, once it's once it's out. But um, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and find that that title for you in just a second. But um, basically, what she was saying was that we are attracted to specific things like uh, wealth or beauty. Beauty is a big one when when it came to uh, titles, things like Pretty Little Liars, um, and, you know, American Beauty, stuff like that. These are titles that are tapping into our core desire for beauty. Okay. So we all are attracted to beauty. We want to be attracted to these books. Um, competition was a big one. Wealth was a big one. Power, uh, examples were things like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is a, a two for one punch of buzzwords that get right to our id which was our love of competition. She says that, you know, if it wasn't for our love of competition, there would be no such thing as a spectator sport. So we would, we love to watch sports. The reason why is because it's ingrained in us, um, as, as human beings that it's important to us evolutionarily to know who's going to win competitions, who's going to survive, who's going to be the one to succeed when the chips are down. So that's core. It's also why we love power and wealth. People that are powerful and wealthy are the people that we have to keep an eye on and see what they're up to. Um, also, some of the other core things that she talked about were reputation-based titles, um, things that deal with um, how are our status in society. So and we're obsessed with status. We're obsessed with what other people's status is. We need to figure this out in order to, to function as a society. So therefore, titles that deal with those sort of things um, scandal is a, is a buzzword for a, for a um, type of title like that. Or um, even just reputation-based titles, things like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's that girl, and we're telling something specific about her, and that that's a reputation-based title. We're, we're talking about someone's rep. Um, another key takeaway was you know using uh, both, both people's names, uh, or both names in, in, a, in a title, Harry Potter, for example. The First 15 Lives of Harry August. Uh, for those of you who follow time travel, it's a great time travel story. But because of the fact that we're using both people's name, both first and last names, it gives that person an air of um, reputation. And we think, oh, well, oh, you're, um, you're, you're so-and-so's little sister. Like We wouldn't just say, oh, you're Ju- Judy's little sister. Oh, you're, you're Judy Bloomington's little sister. By adding the second uh, word, we're saying, oh, this is a particular Judy that we have paid attention to. This is someone with a reputation that you are now affiliated with. I, I connect you. I connect this to someone else. So if you can use um, those kinds of keywords in your in your titles, um, it makes us more likely to engage. And this is not something that we can just apply to titles. We can also apply it to our blurbs, to our, uh, our keyword strategy, our subtitles. 
So it's important for us to understand the buzzwords of our particular genre. Um, so what, how, do you, how do you do that? You kind of go and look at the other titles, the other covers, with, um, you know, of, of the other books in your genre. Look at the titles and see what they're doing. What are the, mo what are the best sellers doing? You know, if you're writing a book that's similar to Pretty Little Liars, then you might want to look and say, well, do I have beauty in my title? Do I have a, a, a liar type word that's a, it's a reputation word? Or, um, you know, things like if you're writing a billionaire romance, billionaire is a, is a wealth title. You know, it's something that attracts us. And, you know, maybe you can try to, the big, the big takeaway f uh, from that was maybe try to pack as many of these as you can, these id words into your, your copy. And, um, you know, in her, her book, I believe, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, it's not out yet, unfortunately, but it, it's going to be called The Science of Story, A Writer's Guide to the Psychology of Fiction uh, by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. So put that on your want to read shelf. She hasn't published it yet. She's not quite sure when it'll be out, but put it on your want list because it's going to be amazing. I, I went to the one, con the one uh, session. It was fantastic. I got the notes from the other session, also fantastic. She's an incredibly intelligent, uh, really sharp um, teacher and instructor in addition to being an accomplished and uh, very successful author. Someone to keep your eye on and learn from. She's one of these authors who you know, has just so much information to share because she is a cognitive scientist and she approaches this with a scientific method and not just gives you information and says, I think this works, I'm not sure why, but she gives, gives you stuff that is really solid content because it delves into the core of our psyche as readers, which is the kind of stuff that you get. It's the next level type of stuff that you get at Nink. So um, it is 4.20. I have been talking to you guys for an hour and 20 minutes. I don't want to run on forever. So I, I just want to wrap up a little bit um, by saying, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that you can get from um, the Novelist Inc. Conference, I, I highly encourage anyone, even if you're not attending this conference, to get out and network with other authors. Attend some, some conferences and try to, to level up your, your author business. Constantly be trying to learn. Be a sponge. Understand that you don't know everything. And even if you have everything that you think you need for your business, there might be other solutions out there uh, that other people are using that are a little bit better. Um, you know, Cecilia Mecca got me this cool light. Or, you know, told me about this light and all of a sudden I'm slightly better lit for you guys today. So how, how great is that? Um, but I hadn't, wouldn't have known it if I hadn't, you know, reached out and, and asked. So there's so many other authors out in this community who are really helpful, uh, willing to share knowledge. They have recommendations for you. They have um, tips on how to solve particular problems. One of the things that we did in the roundtable discussions is we would sit down and we would just sort of spitball an idea say, okay, I, I have this particular problem. I'm dealing with it in this particular way. Is there a better way? Is there another solution that's more effective out there? How have you, how have you solved this? So don't be afraid to reach out, build yourself a little network. And whether it's people that you meet at a conference, whether, you, whether it's people you meet online on Facebook, make an effort. If you want your author business to succeed, get out there and get in touch with some people and say, you know, hey, I really want to connect. I want to get out of my shell. It can be a, a lonely world um, as a writer sometimes, just working away, you know, hammering out books. But um, don't be afraid to connect with traditionally published authors and indie authors to learn what you can learn from both sides of the spectrum. And then get to work hammering out those books and just incorporating all of this new information you learn and make each book better. 
Every book you write should be a little bit better than the last one. The way to do that is to constantly be filling your head with this new information and, and new tips, new strategies, building your craft, crafting your perfect career. So thank you to Nink. Thank you to everyone, especially the sponsors who put on Nink. Um, like I said, we had, had a, a giant list of, you know, of people who, who showed up and, and sponsored. I don't think I paid for a single beer the entire time I was there. I had a hard time uh, because everyone was constantly sponsoring get-togethers and meetups and mingling events. Draft the Digital puts on the most amazing karaoke party I have ever seen. So thank you to all the guys, uh, Kevin Tumlinson, Dan Wood, um, Chris Austin, all the guys from Draft the Digital who put on what had to be the best uh, karaoke party um, in history, probably, at least in, in author conference history, and they continue to do it every year. So looking forward to seeing everyone who was at the conference again next year. If you weren't there last year, I recommend that you get out there this year, sell tons of books, and uh, I'll see you there next year. So until then, um, come on back and check out more episodes. I, because of this author networking event, I have tons of great new authors to, to bring to you and share some of this knowledge via Book Faces Live. So next week, I'm going to be talking to D.K. Holmberg. Uh, Dan is the author of some epic fantasy that I think you're going to love to hear about, and he is another one of these authors who's just out there uh, killing it, making it happen, um, doing, doing a lot of things right. So check out that episode. That's next Wednesday. Um, and we'll be talking to Dan then. At, I think I believe it's 3 p.m. Eastern. But you can always check out the schedule if you want to just um, join the. Fa- make sure you're tuned into the Facebook group. You can uh, ask to be notified when I'm posting up new content, or if you want to just subscribe to the podcast, go on iTunes, check out Book Faces Live as a podcast, and subscribe there. That way, you can listen on the go and get all the latest and greatest information that way. So be sure to subscribe. Uh, like I said, check out that fun video uh, that Roy posted up in the group about uh, authors and airplanes. And next year, if you're around, I would love to take you for a plane ride if you happen to be in St. Pete and you want to get up in the air with me and uh, go go explore. Uh, that'll be a great time too. So thank you everyone for watching. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you get a lot out of it. If you have questions and comments, feel free to leave them. Post them up in, in the comment section. I know it's, it's during the workday, so not everyone can watch this right away. If you're watching it later, watch the replay. Shoot up those questions. I'll do my best to answer them. And I'll be back again next week with another fantastic guest.